0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin. Proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. If you follow Jesus, you are going to die. If you follow Jesus, you are going to die. This is the expectation that followers of Jesus ought to have. Becoming a Christian does not mean entering a life of prosperity. It does not mean you will get to have your best life now, as some preachers claim. It does not mean that you have a license to sin or keep on sinning. If you follow Jesus, you are going to die. This is not for the faint of heart. It is not for those who love the world or even their own lives more than Jesus. It is not for those who simply want to jump on the bandwagon, to go along with the culture, to be a Christian whenever it's convenient, or to use their faith as social or political leverage. If you follow Jesus, you are going to die. When Jesus called James to be an apostle, Jesus knew full well that this would happen to James. Jesus knew full well that this would mean James' untimely death. So early, so young, so quickly, that James would not not live to see Uh, the growth of the church, the maturity of the church, the expansion of the church with the apostolic ministry that the rest of the disciples were able to carry out. Uh, Following Jesus for James uh, meant he was going to die, and die, some might say prematurely, too young. He was the first of the apostles to be martyred, killed by King Herod, whom Uh, You know this King Herod as the grandson of the Herod uh, that slaughtered infants trying to look for the boy Jesus. James was killed by a a dagger or sword by Herod. The reason why uh, you see on your service folder uh, that his symbol uh, is the cross with the dagger. And James' death is actually the only apostle martyrdom recorded in Scripture. We know ten of the other apostles uh, were martyred, too, from, from non-biblical historical records. Uh, and this, by the way, shows to us what Scripture actually is. Uh, it's real history. It, it records real historical events. It's a historical document, historical books that didn't just uh, fall from heaven, but, but are, are real, uh, true histories. But the fact that James' martyrdom is the only martyrdom recorded in Scripture of the Apostles Means that that God wanted us to know about James' death, because James' death sets a pattern, uh, not only for the other disciples but also for you and for me. But let's back up. Who was James the Elder? Uh, There are likely three different Jameses uh, in the New Testament. Uh, Scholars will differ on whether James the Younger, who's actually called James the Younger in Scripture, and whether James the Younger is the same uh, as the the brother of Jesus, James the brother of Jesus, or even a cousin of Jesus, uh, mainly because there's there's also multiple Marys who also happen to be their mothers of these Jameses, and that's equally confusing. Uh, But in any case, it's clear who James the Elder is, and he's called James the Elder simply to differentiate him from James the Younger. Uh, It's not that he's really, really old necessarily, uh, just a bit older than than the other one. Uh, James the Elder was the brother of the Apostle and Evangelist John. Uh, They were sons of Zebedee, both of them, uh, and together James and John are known as the Sons of Thunder. And they were probably called that because of their bold and aggressive personalities, uh, which we see in our Gospel lesson this morning. Uh, three scallops, or, or shells, uh, you see adorn James' shield. Uh, and those are, are native to Spain. And according to legend, uh, James served as a missionary to Spain before his martyrdom. And again, according to true tradition, when the remains of, of James were unearthed, uh, it was said to be, be covered in scallop shells. And in addition, the, the, the shells remind us that, that James' occupation was a fisherman. And that there are three of them, remind us that he, along with uh, John and Peter, was one of Jesus' inner three disciples, one of three disciples chosen uh, and invited to witness uh, three events no one else saw, the raising of the daughter of Jairus from the dead, the transfiguration of Jesus, and Jesus' agony and prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that will be important later. But James' place as one of Jesus' inner three got to his head, as it did his brother John. In our gospel lesson, these boastful th- sons of thunder approach Jesus, and they they ask uh, they ask him for prominent positions in Jesus' kingdom. Actually, Matthew's account of this uh, has their mother, ironically, kneeling before Jesus and asking for for her sons. Uh, James and John were imagining what the life of a disciple, what a follower of Jesus, what the life of a follower of Jesus should be like. A position of power, of authority, of comfort, of an easy life, of immediate gratification. They thought they knew what they deserved, and they deserved it now. They were good Christians, and they knew it. They had followed Jesus for three years as part of his inner circle, probably doing extra work, uh, saying extra prayers. They were entitled to some glory. And unfortunately, their egotism is still evidence in Christian churches today. They remind us that we, too, are not exempt from the sin of pride. And unfortunately, we sometimes let our bad side show all too clearly And make the church all about our personal wants. James and John said to Jesus, Promise that we may sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. What's the glory of Jesus? Like that, most people don't understand. The glory of Jesus is not his miracles, it's not his power. The glory of Jesus is his death, his death on the cross. This is why some people are often surprised when they walk into Lutheran churches and they see not not only crosses, but crucifixes, the instrument of of torture and Jesus' bloody image hanging on the cross. doesn't look glorious. But when Jesus is crucified, he is glorified. He's lifted up as the atonement for the whole world. The crucifixion is the heart of God's entire plan of salvation. So when James and John say, let us sit on either side of your glory, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And they say, yeah, yeah, we could do it. We could do it. So Jesus looked at them with only the wisdom that he has. And he says solemnly, you will. You will. You will drink the cup and be baptized like I am. James would be the first of the apostles to die. And John would be the last they would sit on either side of Jesus' glory in their death. And both would suffer, because which is harder? uh, To die early, untimely, by the sword? Or to live a long time, outliving everyone else and seeing the immense suffering and persecution of your fellow Christians? They're both difficult. They're both hard. They will drink the cup Jesus is going to drink. They will be baptized with the baptism Jesus is baptized with. And what does it mean to drink the cup? The cup of God's wrath is a motif throughout Scripture. It has overtones from, from Adam's sin. When, when Adam ate the fruit God commanded him not to eat, and, and so ate judgment on himself. Now that same judgment can be more easily drunk. right? It's, it's easier to swallow a pill than it is, is to chew it. Uh, and so that, that can be drunk. Now listen to this from Isaiah. God says, Get up, Jerusalem. You have drunk the cup filled with the Lord's wrath from his hand. You, drank, you drained the chalice, the cup that makes you stagger. There was no one to guide her anymore from among the, all the sons she bore. There was no one to take her hand from among all the sons she raised. To drink from the cup of the Lord's wrath is to be like an old fool who alienates themselves from their children and then has no one to care for them in their old age. Uh, that's what Jesus, God, was saying about Jerusalem. Or, or like a dog who bites the hand that feeds it. They, they, they drain the Lord's cup, and they drink his wrath. Like someone saying to God, my will be done, and God saying to them, fine, your will be done apart from me. This is the same uh, wrath a person drinks uh, when they come to the Lord's Supper unworthily. When they come to the supper with an attitude like James I deserve this. I deserve glory. I deserve this. I am a good Christian. And I get to drink God's blessing. Isn't God happy with me? But such a person drinks the Lord's cup not to their blessing, but to their damnation. But. For a person who recognizes their unworthiness and the unique and immense privilege to drink from the Lord's cup, that to eat the Lord's body and to drink from the Lord's cup is to proclaim the Lord's death, the Lord's glory until he comes. To such a person, they receive a cup of blessing overflowing. Because remember what Jesus did before he died on the cross. When Jesus was in the Garden of of Gethsemane, he prayed. And what did Jesus pray? Let this cup be taken from me. But that was not the Father's will. The Father's will was for Jesus to suffer, to die on the cross, because Jesus' death on the cross meant the salvation of the entire world. Jesus drank the cup of the Lord's wrath. And so now you drink the cup of blessing. And to proclaim and share in the Lord's death is the greatest glory, the greatest glory, in heaven or on earth. James' death sets the pattern. For the rest of the unbelieving world, death, uh, to, they mourn death without hope. There is no hope in death. But for the Christian, for you, your death is the glory of God. The early church understood martyrdom to be a baptism of blood. That's what they called martyrdom, a baptism of blood. They understood that they were sharing in Jesus' baptism. They were being baptized with the baptism he was baptized with. If the world hates them, great. To die for the gospel is to be a partaker of In Jesus' own death, to be baptized with the baptism he is baptized with, to die for Christ, is a privilege and a joy. And that means your baptism, the little humble sprinkling of water and the word, is your participation in Jesus' glory. Your baptism is a reflection of Jesus' death and resurrection. By baptism, your heart, the Christian heart, is already in heaven. Our life is in Jesus. In baptism, I have already died. I have died this and I have died to everything, anything that would cause me any harm. What can even death do to me? To die is Christ. If you follow Jesus, you are going to die. And because you are baptized and you do follow Jesus, You have already died. You have already died. As St. Paul says, What will separate us now from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered, and that's a good thing. Knowing all these things, even in the face of persecution, And death, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powerful forces, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As a follower of Jesus, you have already died. Like James, you are a disciple of Jesus and the Christ. You have already died. Jesus has drunk the cup of the Lord's wrath in his glorious death. And so now your cup overflows with life and blessing. Because you have already died, you will rise like Jesus. You're baptized. And Jesus baptized. So let's drink the Lord's cup and proclaim his death until he comes. Heavenly Father, grant that by Jesus' death and resurrection we may sit at his right hand in glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.